0: Welcome back to your home inspector training. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic. Subject this time around is going to be carbon monoxide. Now, again, this is one of those subjects that is kind of out of the regular bounds of what people expect or think of when you think home inspection. You know, you think maybe electrical, plumbing, etc. And carbon monoxide isn't even in that category. It's not even directly in the category of, for example, meth or mold or asbestos or lead-based paint, that sort of thing. But still, carbon monoxide is going to kill, and I should make sure that this is clear, that this is my opinion. I think I've got a thousand facts that could back it up. But carbon monoxide, it kills more people than meth and radon and asbestos and lead, those sorts of things, combined probably by a factor of 10. I personally have been uh, mildly affected by mold that I run into, but I have been more affected by carbon monoxide, and I know more people who've been affected by carbon monoxide, and I'm aware of people who've been killed by carbon monoxide. This is something that you've got to be up to speed on if you want to... Do your job well if you want to avoid any career enders or anything that could result in death or big problems for either yourself or the people who you are paid to protect and educate. So this is one you're going to want to be right up to speed on. Carbon monoxide, also known as CO. Please don't make the mistake of calling it CO2. It it is not carbon dioxide. That is something completely different. And CO2 is a part of nature. Carbon monoxide is a result of incomplete combustion of any gas type appliance that is inside the house. That could be the furnace. It could be the water heater. It could be a space heater. It could be maybe a gas stove or a gas oven. Anytime you've got a flame inside the house, there is a potential for carbon monoxide. Me, personally, I'm going to start with one of my stories. Way back, I'm going to say, a little bit over 20 years ago, I had a hatchback car. And, um, you know, I was wishing at the time that I had a truck, but that's just not what I had at the time. So, I was trying to, I don't remember why I was trying to move a lawnmower, but I didn't have a truck and didn't have one that I could borrow. So, I put that lawnmower in the back of my hatchback car and then I had my family there also in the car the carbon monoxide that was generated from the exhaust of that car you know we had the hatchback tied down as much as we could but there was still a gap of I'm going to say probably oh uh, nine to twelve inches so the backdraft from my car got into the car itself where we all breathed the carbon monoxide and it affected us for a number of days, every one of us. So, you know, it could have been much uglier if things had been different. But I learned at that point that you definitely have to respect carbon monoxide that will get you. This is probably a bigger killer than anything else that you could be looking for. I mean, electrical fires do happen, and structural collapses do happen, and mold issues do happen, but carbon monoxide is the biggie, and like I say, you want to make sure that you understand that if you're talking about maybe a radon issue versus a carbon monoxide issue, you need to make it clear to your client that carbon monoxide is going to be the one that kills them. Another comparison that I often use, and I'll I'll use this in describing relative risks to my clients, is if you hear Hoofbeats think horses, not zebras. And sometimes that, you know, helps people to understand that, you know, the obvious common sort of a thing is what you want to expect first. And if we're talking about dangers, the obvious common one is carbon monoxide. The one that gets headlines that may be one one one-thousandth of the level of problem would be maybe something like radon or, or lead, Anyway, off that soapbox, the, the first place I want to talk about would be maybe the water heater. I did an inspection where we had a girl's apartment. They were a bunch of students. We had six students that were living in three bedrooms. And I'm going to say the whole place was less than a 1,000 square feet, maybe six, 700 square feet for this whole place. Very small. You basically had a small, maybe, I don't know, 100 square feet sort of a living room, and less than that sort of square feet in the kitchen, and then you got a bathroom or two and and bedrooms, and that was the entire place. I was called out to inspect that place. I got in, and right behind the front door as you open up this space, you have the furnace and water heater closet. So I got in there... And I was looking around, you know, earthquake, strap, check, you know, some of the other things that that I expected to see, check, no leaking on the floor, no signs of corrosion, etc. So the water heater was doing okay, except that there was no combustion air source inside this closet. Now, combustion air, you know, this is definitely an inspection point for you. You've got to know what a combustion air source is and know when it's not there. Often it's well hidden, but you've got to find it or you need to write it up. So this place did not have a combustion air source in there. The purpose for combustion air is to replace the air that's leaving through the flues. The idea being, and the example that I use, is that air can't leave one side of a straw, which is kind of what the flue is, without replacement from the other side and when i explain things that way then people understand the purpose of combustion air i tell them that the combustion air provides the replacement air so that air can leave through that flue combustion air you know we're going to we get more into that with water heaters and furnaces etc but If you don't have that combustion air source, there could be trouble. So in this apartment, they didn't have the combustion air, and there was trouble. Uh, Without seeing that, I pulled out my carbon monoxide meter, and I tried to measure to see if we were getting carbon monoxide in that space. And sure enough, all the time that that water heater was on, we were getting a 7 parts per million inflow into that girl's apartment. You know, 7 parts per million To give you some background, EPA has allowed, and again, I should uh, caution you about this because EPA's rules can change from year to year, but uh, they've been known to allow 50 parts per million in the workspace for eight hours maximum. So if you compare that and you get maybe a seven parts per million flow out of the water heater, you're thinking, well, that might be acceptable. Well, it's not, and here's why. Uh, You can fill a swimming pool with a garden hose, and that's kind of what was happening with this water heater, is if you're adding seven parts per million to this girl's apartment, eventually that seven is going to add up, and then you can get to a point where numbers are much higher and not acceptable, especially for a 24-7 type environment. So I knew that carbon monoxide poisoning has been known to cause headache and fatigue and dizziness and drowsiness and nausea. So I started asking some of the girls that were there in this space, you know, have you had those symptoms? And they said, oh yeah, we have. We all have been dealing with that. I wrote that in as, of course, the number one issue associated with this apartment. As a result of my inspection, somebody might have survived just from having that knowledge that there was, in this case, the lack of a combustion air source associated with the water heater. That's why the combustion air is so important. In addition, you're going to want to see a draft hood on the water heater. It's going to pull air from the surrounding environment, and then that air goes, of course, up the flue. If you have what's called a direct connect, there is no draft hood, but then you've got to have a fan that actually blows air all the way from the water heater itself all the way to the exterior, and again you've got to have replacement air. If there is a sag, sometimes you'll see, especially in homes that are older, maybe the water heater is out in the middle of the room, and then you've got a 15-foot horizontal run over to the outer wall, and then they go who knows where with the rest of the flu. you got that sort of thing going. You sit back and imagine yourself as one of those gases. If it is easy for you to get out, that's great. If it's not, if there's a bunch of elbows, if there's sags, if you want to, you know, obviously warm air with carbon monoxide wants to rise. And if it is difficult for it to do so, it's just going to say, hey, forget this, I'm going to go into the house rather than try this difficult, torturous pathway through the flue. So if you see a sag or if you have reason to believe that there may be critters at any point or maybe there's holes, sometimes I will see where maybe you've got a three or four inch diameter flue that's going into a chimney and maybe they chunked out an eight inch chunk of the chimney to get this four inch flue in there. And so you see that very easily the carbon monoxide exhaust could make it into the chimney and then back into the living space. So you're going to want to look for holes in the flue or holes in any sort of the pathway or any blockages. Or, you know, for example, if you got the sags, you can quite often get, you know, dust or mouse nests or who knows what. Any sort of blockage is going to result in the carbon monoxide not making it to the exterior and then people start dying. You don't want to be the person who missed that. Not only is that a career ender for you, but it could be a life ender for your clients. You don't want to be the guy that missed that. Pay attention to those sorts of things. Now, I have seen home inspectors that will write up I'm going to say screw-type holes in flues. Uh, To me, those are less of an issue. I, I don't make a huge deal of them other than to make sure that the client understands, hey, you know, those are holes. They should be taped up. It's a $1 fix, but it needs to be done. Don't terrify your clients about that. That's what greenhorns do. You know, Green guys try to make the most of what little they do find to try and make it appear that they actually earned their fee. You don't have to do that. Even if you are green, your primary thing is to educate, not necessarily to terrify. Water heaters. So your water heater is going to be, based on my experience, the primary potential source of carbon monoxide. And you're going to want to look at that thing carefully, find ways for that carbon monoxide laden exhaust to go someplace where it shouldn't. And when you see that, you're going to want to write it up. Fireplace is another one now, gas fireplaces can be let's just use the word interesting you've got gas fireplaces you've got wood burning fireplaces you've got the pellet stove fireplaces, etc, and of course, all of the above are emitting carbon monoxide and of course, you know if you've got too many elbows or if you've got small flues or if you've got a raccoon in the way or if you've got holes. You, as the home inspector, need to notice all of the above. Gas fireplaces can be the most sinister for me because if you've got a wood fireplace, for example, and the flue is blocked, you're going to fill the house up with smoke and carbon monoxide, but people are going to notice the smoke, they're going to know something is wrong, and then things get taken care of. You know, The flue gets opened, and then the exhaust can go where it needs to. If you have a gas fireplace, there isn't any smoke. And so if only once somebody turns on that fireplace and we have no glass cover plate and the flue is closed, the house is going to heat up faster and it's also going to fill up with carbon monoxide and then people start dying. Not good. So one of the things I am very careful about is if you've got a gas fireplace with no glass cover plate, at minimum you're going to want to make sure that that flue is permanently blocked open. Sometimes that's done with just a little gadget which can be removed and again that could be a problem. The thing is with a gas fireplace is that the 99% of the time when the gas fireplace is not on you're going to be getting downdrafts, cold air downdrafts in the winter and nobody wants that so they're going to try and seal that up and that's not good as soon as the flu is sealed up in whatever way and then you turn the gas fireplace on then people start dying so you should be very careful about uh, protecting your clients in that way make sure that they understand that at minimum we need to have a permanent block there if you got a gas fireplace there should basically just be no way that client can turn their gas on and have the flu closed that should just not be a possibility So the best way to do that is to have the glass cover plate, and then you turn things on at the side with a switch, and then actually at that point in time with the glass cover plate, the air behind the glass, where the burner is, actually becomes exterior air. That is the case for me. I've actually gotten wasps inside my fireplace, and that's how I know that I'm actually well-sealed, is those wasps only made it inside the fireplace. And then I cooked them, of course, when I turned the fireplace on. As the the inspector, you're going to want to take a look at those flus, both from the bottom side and the top side, and make sure you don't have uh, the wasp nests that are too large, or maybe you have any number of stories where flus get blocked with critters. Sometimes, you know, maybe it's going to be a squirrel. Sometimes it's raccoons. I do have one story where my client beat me into a house. Uh, he had access to the key. He walked in, and we had a number of raccoon pups that were on the grill on the top side of a wood-burning fireplace. So apparently the they had fallen down in, and the mother raccoon, who knows where she was, but she hadn't rescued these pups. I guess the way that story went is they got the pups, they collected those, and uh, went and fed them to some neighbor's snake. guess they made a good meal for somebody's pet snake. If you've got that sort of thing going, you need to certainly write that up. last thing you need is to get that 3 a.m. phone call where you find out that the home that you inspected last week, your clients are dead because of something that you missed uh, as a result of the fireplace or the fireplace flu. If you can safely, you know, look up from below and from above and make sure that you know what's going on in that fireplace, you should do so. You got to use a little bit of judgment because there's no use risking your life to try and protect other people's lives. You should never do anything that's dangerous. On the other hand, if you do not do everything that you can, you're placing your client more at risk. So do what you can do safely, and you know do as good a job as reasonably possible, but don't risk your life. The reason I mention that is there was one roof that I got onto. The client actually was more comfortable than me. The roof was metal, it was snow-covered, and he, I don't know what his background was, but I didn't want to get up on it, but he did, and he actually went waddling across the top side of this metal roof The first 12 inches on either side was not snow-covered. The rest of it was, and he got up there, and so not to be outdone, I followed him, but that was a stupid decision, and I should not have done that. Obviously, any sort of a slip would have resulted in me sliding down the snow to the bottom of the property, and that would have been, obviously, hospital bills and perhaps a career ender. You're the one in control. Only do the things that are safe for you and don't allow your client to do anything that is unsafe for him. At least, you know, I mean, if he's going to go up there, he's going to go up there, but you need to make it clear that you're not okay with him doing that. Okay, while we are on the subject of the fireplace flu. Something that you should look for. I've seen in any number of homes where maybe grandpa decided that he was tired of the downdrafting that happens from flus, so grandpa would often go up and put a board there and maybe hold that down with a couple of bricks. When you see that, that's a huge high-priority safety issue because oftentimes in the spring, grandpa will forget that he's got that cover up there, and then grandma builds a fire, and then everybody inside the house dies. If you see that sort of thing, you need to make sure that's written up. Similarly, if you're inspecting a flue and you see that it's filled up with maybe insulation or whatever, again, something you need to write up, and then you need to go down into the house and make sure that there is no chance that that could be used for a fireplace. If that is the case, then, you know, of course they can fill it in permanently, but a temporary fill-in is only an invitation to disaster. Okay, that's fireplaces. I'm not going to get into the different kinds of fireplaces besides just differentiating between gas and wood burners. I guess another thing I had to do is some of the older homes, they had a shallow burn chamber, and it's not necessarily easy in wood-burning fireplaces for the gas and the carbon monoxide to actually escape the home. You know, just because maybe where... In newer homes, you might be getting a 12 or an 18-inch deep firebox. In some of those newer ones, it was much less than that, you know, 6 to 9 inches. And then the flue would be relatively small. If you see that sort of thing, you need to notice that as well. Just, you know, bottom line, imagine yourself being the gases and where you're going to go. And so if there is a risk of having gases go into the living space... It is your job to keep your clients alive. That's why you're being paid the big bucks and uh, you need to make sure that you do that. Okay, space heaters. Sometimes you will, and this is going to happen multiple times in your career as a home inspector, you will see a house where maybe they finished one part of the house and that was done correctly when the home was built. And then as time goes on, maybe grandpa decides to finish another space and he was not motivated enough to run forced air heat into those new spaces. He just figured it was good enough for him. Maybe it was his shop. Maybe he didn't care. Maybe he didn't know how to do it. But he's thinking, okay, I'm not going to run heat to this space. Too much work. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to hire anybody. So instead, he would use maybe a space heater, If you see a room that has a space heater, I want you to fear and tremble a little bit because quite often those space heaters are going to be less than perfect combustion and then they're going to fill up that room with carbon monoxide. In addition, they can be more expensive and certainly less controlled. And whether you've got a gas-type space heater or electric, that is certainly something that you want to make clear to your clients that they don't have... Acceptable heat to that space. You can have an entire home that is heated with electric heat, and that is allowable. It's done fairly commonly, especially in Europe, but this is not Europe. And usually, gas forced air is the way that most people go. If you don't have that, you need to make it clear to the client that that's what they're doing. Again, last thing you want is another 3 a.m. phone call where the guy says, "Hey, you didn't tell me that my bill was going to be a thousand dollars." So, these are career enders you want to avoid. Somebody's got a space heater in addition. You know, based on my experience, I lived temporarily in a home where there was a space heater in the basement the forced air didn't work in the basement family room and so as a result they had a gas space heater my daughter decided to try and she was i don't know maybe six at the time try and dry one of my t-shirts on the space heater it was damp so she threw it on this space heater figuring she was going to dry it out well it dried it out all right the thing burst into flames in a matter of seconds And then we had a disaster. Uh, Then my daughter figures the whole house is going to burn down. She goes running outside. My wife grabs the T-shirt so that it stops burning on the space heater. She burns her hand. Then she throws this burning T-shirt on the carpet. And now we've got burned carpet. Yeah, you can tell that uh, the scenario could have gotten much more ugly. But, you know, these are the kinds of things you're going to want to make sure you're protecting your clients from and with is that these space heaters, unless they're well done, maybe electric, they are not going to be a safe substitute for a proper heating system. Next thing I want to do is I want to go to gas stoves and ovens. Now, the old gas stoves, and by old, it depends on what year you're listening to this, but One of the things you should be doing as part of your inspection, especially on anything that looks older, is to see what level of carbon monoxide that thing is putting out. Quite often, maybe uh, in some parts of the country, you'll get people that will have the stove on much of the day. Maybe they're canning or maybe these guys are diehard chefs or whatever the case may be. Those guys, hopefully, are not dealing with an old stove. But if you're doing the inspection, you're going to want to check that flame to make sure that it is putting out a safe level. My research shows that 5% of the gas stove and ovens out there are putting out more than 200 parts per million. That is nowhere near acceptable. I'm thinking that pretty much anything less than about 5 you know, may be okay. But really, the number you're looking for is 0 And if you're not getting that sort of a number coming out of the gas stove, you need to bring it up to the clients and make sure they understand that this is a carbon monoxide source and they might want to consider getting a more efficient stove. Same thing with the oven. Other things you're going to want to just have on your radar so that you can pass it along to your clients is that you don't want to cover the vents on the bottom of the burners with foil. Those vents are there for a reason, and if they are not able to do their job, you can get incomplete combustion, and what follows after that is called carbon monoxide. You don't want to heat the home with the range, obviously. Sometimes people will do that when maybe the furnace doesn't work, or you've got maybe the kitchen that is inadequately heated, Or maybe somebody just has a good idea. Maybe they don't want to heat the whole house, so they'll turn on the stove. If you get the scenario where that opportunity arises, make sure that the client is clear that that's not a good thing to do. Don't leave the oven open. Take a look at the flame as part of your inspection, both on the stove and in the oven. If the flames are not blue, it needs to be serviced. And as always, as uh, as relates to the gas stove and oven or the water heater or the fireplace, the space heater, the furnace, all of the above, have a carbon monoxide meter nearby. And then you're going to want to look at the carbon monoxide meter and, and, you know, basically where is it? So we're going to talk about the carbon monoxide meters here shortly, but as part of your inspection, just make sure there is a carbon monoxide meter nearby. Furnaces. If again, going back to the blocked chimney thing, the furnace needs to exhaust the carbon monoxide laden air to the exterior. If there is any reason why that might not happen, you've got something that is huge that you need to ride up. And you know, it's this kind of stuff that you're paid to find. Uh, the crazy little things, you know, dirty carpet, dings in the wall, spiders those are really not home inspection related items protecting your clients from dying yeah that's why you were hired so block chimneys is one of those one of my stories that i often use is i talk about and this was a newspaper article that i read back when newspapers were actually read but turns out that a lady who you know she was fairly old didn't have a lot of money but she needed a roof done so she hired the cheapest guy she could find and he goes up there and he gets started on a roof and he's he's up there all day he leaves his tools up there and leaves at the end of the day he comes back the next morning knocks on the door to let her know that he's uh, going to be back up there working she doesn't answer he knocks a little louder and she still doesn't answer and finally he calls the cops they go in and she's dead And it turns out the reason why she was dead is because he left his tools on top of the chimney. He blocked the chimney, and as a result, the carbon monoxide could not leave the house. He killed her by blocking the chimney flue. So, you know, there are a lot of things that you and I as home inspectors can learn from that. It doesn't just take tools. It can be the piece of wood that Grandpa leaves up there. It can be the critters. It can be pine needles. It can be branches and leaves that get up into there. These are all things you're going to be wanting to look for. There was a home I did where you had a large pine tree right next to the chimney flue on the top side of the house. The needles had actually dipped into the chimney and they were brown. This tree was trying to burn itself down and, and the house and the rest of the neighborhood. This was a huge tree. I'm going to say it was probably a 80 feet up there and, I don't know, 30 feet wide, it would have gone off like a bomb. And, of course, we're dropping needles into there, so even if the tree didn't light on fire, you've got a carbon monoxide issue as those needles kept dropping down into that chimney flue. These are things you're certainly going to want to be looking for. Critter nests, raccoons, etc. This is why you are getting paid what you are, is to find these sorts of things. Now, furnaces, of course, you've got older furnaces that are going to have a crack in the burn chamber. Again, one of my stories is I did an inspection where I saw that the burn chamber was heavily covered with dust. You couldn't actually see the chamber itself, but I recommended that they clean that chamber, and then I walked away. So what had happened is they did what I asked, and then with the chamber now clean, uh, now there's some cracks in the chamber. The idea is that there's carbon monoxide there inside the chamber, and that needs to go to the exterior. If you've got a crack, then some of the carbon monoxide can go actually through the chamber and into the house. And, of course, that's going to be a carbon monoxide issue, and that's bad. When you've got a cracked burn chamber, the furnace is done. So, I did get that three a m phone call didn 't happen at that hour, but it was late, and the lady was upset and to put it mildly, the guy who'd gone out to clean the furnace had once it was clean he'd noticed what was visible then, which was that we had a, the crack, and then it was you've got to replace this furnace she of course wanted me to pay for it. So this, of course, you know that this is not one of those happy stories of what everybody wants their clients to deal with. And, you know, the reality is that she was saved. You know, she was protected. She had better safety because of what I had said, but I hadn't gone far enough. What I should have done is say, rather than say, look, you got a lot of dust, it should be cleaned, I should have instead said, look, you got a lot of dust, and there may be a crack in the chamber because of that dust and the age. And if you do so, then you might have carbon monoxide, and then you got to replace the furnace before everybody dies in the house. So, as you're looking, if you see a lot of dust, you know, just avoid this scenario, learn from my experience. If you got a lot of dust inside the furnace, Yes, it needs to be serviced, but make sure that they're clear that there's other things that may be uninspectable at the time you're there and you can protect the client and yourself from larger bills that way. Similarly, again, if you've got holes in the flue, that can be something that you certainly need to write up Also be aware of, it's called backdrafting. Let's say that you, again, do not have the combustion air source in the furnace and water heater room. What can happen? Maybe the wind blows. Maybe somebody's turning on the bathroom vents. Maybe there's a fireplace that's causing a lot of air to leave through the fireplace. Sometimes the way the house can adjust for that is to pull air from wherever it can and in many cases, the replacement air comes from your furnace and water heater flues. When that's happening and you've got backdrafting like that, you know, again, the uh, let, let me paint that scenario a little bit more clearly. Let's say that somebody turns on the bathroom fan. The home is tight. It can't pull air easily from around the doors and windows, and it's not supposed to do that anyway. You've got weather stripping, et cetera. So what the house is going to do is say, hey, I need replacement air. Instead of air leaving through your water heater flues and air leaving through your furnace flues, it actually is going the reverse direction trying to replace the air that's leaving from that bathroom fan. And again, that's what the combustion air source is there for. But maybe it's been blocked because somebody doesn't like the downdraft, it's cold, etc. Maybe it's not there at all. And so, if you got these sorts of scenarios happening, the backdrafting will happen. You can tell when that has happened historically because you're going to have more dust on the uh, top side of the water heater. You're going to have more humidity on the. Maybe you got windows nearby. If you see those and they're dirty, and you see that the dirtiness and humidity is greater at the windows near the water heater. That's a tip-off for you to know that you're getting backdrafting. And of course, as part of the backdrafting, we're getting carbon monoxide into that space. So that is certainly something you're going to want to write up. Make sure your clients are clear on what is happening there. And then you can refer that to an HVAC guy or a plumber to make sure the condition doesn't continue. Also, you can use that as an opportunity to educate your client on the importance of A, having a combustion air source, and B, making sure that it does not get blocked. Alright, enough rant there. I want to talk about carbon monoxide detectors. We've talked about the various sources of carbon monoxide, being you know water heaters and fireplaces, space heaters, furnaces, gas stoves, gas ovens, that sort of thing. And having those all be proper is great, but as always, that's a level of protection. You still want to have your client be protected with carbon monoxide detectors. Sometimes I will see those on the, maybe you've got a two-story home, and you'll have those on the ceiling of the second story. That's great in a fire. Sometimes, for example, if you've got maybe a couch on fire or a mattress on fire, sometimes a CO detector will go off before a smoke alarm detector will. It'll give you a few more seconds of warning. Under that scenario, it's helpful to have a carbon monoxide detector on the ceiling. By contrast, if you've got maybe a leak in the water heater and maybe that's in the basement or maybe you've got a fireplace where you've got a small leak that's just flowing in, you, you've got less of a smoky fire and more of a flow in that case your carbon monoxide meter should be near the floor so what you're going to recommend of course is not to take down the one on the ceiling it's doing a job but it's not doing all jobs if you have a condition that calls for a carbon monoxide detector let's say maybe you do have a glass fireplace without a glass cover plate you're going to want to recommend that they put a CO detector near that fireplace. You know, and that way carbon monoxide, if it pools, it's you're going to want to have that on the lower levels because obviously if it pools to the point that it uh, causes the CO detector on the ceiling to go off, it's entirely possible that you've already got health effects at lower elevations within that room. And you know as you start doing inspections you'll start to see the same sort of thing but i've done a couple of inspections where somebody remodels a home and the one i'm thinking of they actually had a wood-burning fireplace that was hooked up to the wall but there was no chimney outside they just had the wood-burning fireplace there and this was a basement family room and you know at the time i did the inspection there was three little girls there they were all laying down watching TV, and I thought, man, if somebody actually used this fireplace, that's how those girls would be found, only they'd be dead. And I have three little girls of my own. The scene at the time just broke my heart. You know, Nobody actually had died, but I could just see the the police showing up and seeing the bodies in the position that I was seeing as I was doing that inspection. That's a major part of what you're inspecting for is, and an easy thing to miss. You know, maybe on the exterior you may not see a chimney and you might not know that one is called for, but you start seeing fireplaces on the inside of the house. If you don't remember seeing the flue on the exterior, you need to go back out there and make sure that it actually happened. Obviously, that's a great way for your family to die or for anybody to die. These are things you need to be paying attention to. CO detectors, going back to that, on the ceiling for fires, on the floor for non-fire conditions. And you need to have one on the main floor near the fireplace or any other source of carbon monoxide. All right. Consider yourself partially trained, at least to a kindergarten level, on carbon monoxide. Huge item. Again, this is the one item that is most likely to cause health effects to the family and it can very easily cause death you know other things like snakes and radon and asbestos get headlines carbon monoxide does not but this is the one that can actually uh, that is far more likely to kill your family off so make sure that you do not treat this issue lightly go out there serve your clients well make sure they understand carbon monoxide issues Take care of them. More information at HomeMedicUSA.com. Make me proud.